0: So we're going to be continuing today in our uh, verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of John. We're going to be picking back up in chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 22. Today I'll be reading the ESV. If you want to follow along, there will also be um, the scriptures on the slide behind us. I'm going to read the text, we'll pray, and we'll we'll dive in and just uh, see what God has for us in this text. John 3.22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Anon near Salem because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Now discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across... Um, the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear uh, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but wrath of God remains on him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your holy, written, without error word. That you gave to us to guide us on all manners of life and and spiritual things. God, we are so thankful for the word. Lord, I'm so thankful for each person here who has decided to be here today for the public reading of scripture. And to learn and and invest this time to hear and learn about your word. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit in this room right now um, convicts our hearts, Lord. I pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have spoken in these words. God, Send your Holy Spirit right now to anoint me to preach your word in a way that is glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's sermon title is The Exaltation, because John the Baptist is exalting Christ rather than himself. Uh, my subtitle for, for this sermon is Learn from the Greatest to Become the Least. Jesus, when he was speaking about John in another gospel said that John the Baptist, listen to this, was the greatest man ever born of a woman. The greatest man ever born of a woman, right? Like, it's one thing to say, like, we say those types of things. This is the best burger in all the world. We say this is the best pizza ever made. This is the best car, right? Uh, I have the best wife, right? My kids are the best. We say those things all the time. But when Jesus says it, as the sovereign king of the universe... John the Baptist is the greatest man to ever be born. That means something. And yet, John the Baptist learned to be the least of these. John the Baptist learned to exalt Christ instead of himself. So if we're going to look at John the Baptist as the greatest man who's ever lived, what we're going to learn from him is how to be the least, how to be humble, how to be a servant. You see, becoming the least... Is actually the greatest call. The Apostle Paul, who my grandfather spoke of um, as he um, was sharing about the Asia um, missions in Acts, this Apostle, as he is writing these letters to to those, um, and now we have them as the Scripture, he said things like, "I am the least of the apostles." He said. Then he says, "I am the very least of all the saints," and he. Closer to the end of his life says, I am the foremost of sinners. His view of himself got smaller and smaller the closer he got to Jesus. The more he, he, he fell in love with Jesus, the more he exalted Jesus' name in, in all of the world, in all of Asia and Europe, the smaller he saw himself, the more humble he became. I'm really excited to teach about humility because I feel like I'm very qualified. No, in all seriousness, you whenever, uh, you know, I feel like whenever a pastor has to preach a sermon on on exalting Christ and being humble, being a servant, you always have to like check yourself. Right. And I'm writing the sermon. I'm like, like, am, am I like pursuing to be the least? Like, is that truly my heart? Do I do I truly seek to serve others and ultimately Christ more than anything else? You have to check yourself. And as I'm reading this, you know, it's good to see that even for the Apostle Paul, it took some time, right? Like, he's like, I'll start off with just, I'm the least of these 13 guys, right? <laughs> like, I'm the least of uh, the Christians. And then eventually Paul's like, okay, I'm the worst human that's ever lived, right? Because he just sees his sin in comparison to Jesus and, and his humility as he now knows his place. An almighty, perfect king of the universe a man of dust, right? A sinful man who just gets to serve him. Wow, Paul over time sees himself smaller and smaller in comparison to God. And I hope that we would learn that today from John the Baptist. Let's look at this scripture a little, a little closer. John three twenty two, it says, uh, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them. And was baptizing, so Jesus leaves the urban to the rural. He leaves the city for the country, and we see this a lot throughout the Gospels. Jesus had a mixture of ministry in small uh, towns, out in the desert, out in the valleys, out in the in the places that you know the fishermen were, and and where the farmers and things were, Um, and then he also spent a great deal of time in cities, working um, where there were crowds. I love that because the gospel is for all of the world. The gospel is for every culture. It's for every uh, social status, for every economic um, situation. The gospel is there, and Jesus brings it to all types of people in all walks of life in all areas, and I love that. So you can have thriving churches downtown. You can have thriving churches in a city of a 1,000 people. Right. Sometimes I'm like, I would prefer that because I could go. There's a thousand people here. I can make sure I can talk to all of them. Sometimes I wish that. Like that would be awesome, right? Like doing a church in a small town. Jesus did all of it, and we as his followers get to do all of it. Um, as the as the church, we get to bring the gospel to every region, every area, every type of place. John three twenty three. It says, John was also baptizing at Anon near Salem because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Um, Water was plentiful there. I love that. Here's the thing. Sometimes it's okay to make decisions because it's practical, right? Sometimes God calls us to do crazy things. Sometimes God is like, hey, I want you to go do something that doesn't make any sense. But sometimes God wants us to use our brains, (laughs) right sometimes he's like go to the desert and preach where there's nobody other times he's like go to the city where there's everybody right sometimes God will ask you to do things that don't make sense and I think we preach about those things often but sometimes God just wants you to use common sense hey where's their water do the baptism there right like let's not over spiritualize why he chose this place It says why he chose the place because some people been like, well, Salem is a place of peace and this and that. No, it tells us he chose that place because there was water and there was a lot of it. And it was easy to do lots of baptisms. I love that. So sometimes it's okay to just use your mind, look at things and make a decision based upon common sense, because God did give you a brain. Right. And, And so. Maybe there's decisions in your life and you're looking for some kind of crazy thing and you're not getting this clear voice from heaven. God also gave you a brain, right? Can you care for your family there? Can you um, do business well there if you're a businessman? Like sometimes it's okay to just make decisions based on what's practical, Now, of course, if God speaks and and tells you to do something crazy, if he calls you out to a place that you're not comfortable with, that you're not willing to go to, you need to listen to him then too. But sometimes it's okay to make decisions just because it's practical. John is not yet in prison. Ultimately, John, as the greatest man who ever lived, and yet more than that, the greatest prophet, the greatest Old Testament prophet, he, like many other prophets, met his end being um, killed for what he was saying. John the Baptist, during this time, he was not only baptizing people and not only preaching repentance, he was also calling out the sin of the rulers and the leaders and the kings of the time. You start doing that as a prophet, which he was told to do by God, that gets you in trouble. And John the Baptist ultimately finds himself persecuted in prison and even beheaded. But this is before that. John is baptizing. And just down the line, Jesus is baptizing. And it says 325. Now discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Purification was something common and important to the religious Jews of the day. They were all about cleansing yourself and being clean. John's baptism was one of repentance and represented becoming new. So they were all about like, hey, you, you go out in the street, wash your hands. Hey, if you, if you touch something that's uh, unclean, an unclean animal, or you, you, you walk too close to a leper, right? Like clean yourself, cleanse yourself. And so they were all about this cleansing. But John's baptism was different because it was about becoming new. It was a baptism of repentance and rebirth was what it, what it symbolized why this was a debate and why it was such an issue was that this was the type of baptism and symbolism that was for Gentiles becoming Jews or becoming Jews in faith. And so they would get baptized in this way to symbolize that they were now becoming a part of that faith. But the Jews didn't have this type of baptism. So John the Baptist is doing a baptism intended for Gentiles becoming into the Jewish faith. So, when John the Baptist is baptizing people who are of Jewish blood, who didn't, according to them, didn't need this. That was insulting to some of the Jewish leaders at the time. And so there's some sort of debate going on here about this. And then as most debates do, they go down rabbit trails, right? The content changes. Um, And it seems that the debate leads to them talking about the size of crowds that John had versus Jesus had. Now, I imagine the debate coming here, some Jewish leader comes up to the disciples of John the Baptist and says, hey, like, why are you guys doing this baptism? What's wrong with you? This is, it looks weird. It looks bad for our Jewish people to do this sort of baptism. And they start debating it. And then I'm, I'm guessing the conversation goes like this. And he goes, not only that, now it's not just you guys. There's a whole nother crowd down there doing the same thing. It's catching on. This is bad. And John's disciples go, there is a crowd over there? And this is how I'm imagining it. And they go and they look and they see that Jesus is having larger crowds than them. And maybe some bitterness comes in and, or some jealousy. And they say, to John like hey this is a problem like like uh as we see here t- verse 26 and they came to John and said Rabbi he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness look he is baptizing and all are going to him they're jealous of Jesus size of crowd they're jealous of the ministry that Jesus is starting to have the influence that that he's having they're losing people to another movement John the Baptist answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Oh, that is a perfect response, right? They're stuck with jealousy and and, and bitterness and they're concerned about their crowd, about their influence, about their name, about their movement. John says, I can't do anything. Everything that we have is from heaven. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. John, in a a way, is telling them, be content instead of jealous, be thankful instead of bitter. Because he understood he was simply a servant of God and whatever God wanted to do, he was going to trust. Verse 28, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ But I have been sent before him. So John elaborates. What did you expect when I said that dude's the Messiah? Not me, that guy. What did you expect? Are you really surprised by this? I said I'm not the Messiah. I said I was just here to point the way for him. There he is. The people should be going there. What did you expect? He then gives us this beautiful example in terms of a wedding. Jesus and John the Baptist both often use everyday things to point out spiritual um, truths. John three twenty nine, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. In some sense, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He uses this imagery of of a Groomsman, or sorry, the groom and the groomsman, right? Who's the focus of the wedding? The groom and the bride. If the groomsman is to step in front during the ceremony and start giving a speech and making it all about them and talking about how great they are and why people should listen to them, that would be a huge issue, wouldn't it? Not only that, it would be awkward, it would be weird, it would be inappropriate, Have any of you been to that sort of wedding where somebody made it all about them? I have. Weird. It wasn't my wedding, fortunately. Uh, So John's saying, for me to go and make it all about me is inappropriate. It's, It's wrong. It's about the bride and the groom. The Bible, and really the New Testament throughout, says that Jesus is the groom and that the church is the bride. Jesus has come and he's come to love the bride, to take care of the bride, the church. So he's saying that's exactly where the people need to go. I would never get in the way. I would never step in and make it all about me. The lesson from that has to be don't make church all about you, right? To step in to church and we can do this it can happen from the top all the way down but you can walk into a building that's supposed to be all about jesus and somehow make it all about you hey let me say what i want what i need what i think if this doesn't happen i'm out if this doesn't go my way right but that can of course happen even with the pastor all the way down to the newest visitor It's all about me, what I think, what I want or else. Well, what we learn from John the Baptist is exalt Christ first and foremost. Exalt Christ first and foremost. This is his event, right? This is his building. These are his people. We're here to worship him. We're here to love him. We're here to help others worship and love him we can't make church about ourselves. We are here to exalt Jesus' name. Can I get an amen? Austin Chapel exists and must always exist to exalt Jesus' name. Now, of course, it is perfectly fine to have opinions. It is perfectly fine to express those opinions. It's perfectly fine to have concerns or desires. But with the humility of, of saying, ultimately whatever best reaches people so they can experience the love of Jesus, whatever most glorifies his name, if we can approach it and say, hey, my preference can, can take a back seat to the glory of Jesus and, and the mission of Jesus to make new disciples and reach the lost. Amen? So I would say for me and, and for all of our leaders and all, all the way down to, to new visitors, if, if you're a part of Austin Chapel, have your opinions, have your desires, but, but allow it sometimes to take a backseat to the mission. Allow it sometimes, if necessary, to take a backseat to reaching the lost. Because this is not ultimately about what we want, but what Jesus is most glorified in. John Continues, and he gives us maybe one of the most profound statements in the Gospels. He must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist had not just a small influence. He would be the equivalent of today's largest megachurch pastor, and then probably then some, right? He would have the influence at the time of maybe Billy Graham had influence in the U.S., right? This guy has a following. Everybody knows his name. Everybody's curious about him. He's preaching in the desert and thousands, tens of thousands of people are going out into the desert to meet him there, to hear what he's preaching, to be baptized by him. He has this incredible influence. And yet he says, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. I must decrease and Jesus must increase. I think that is the call of every Christ follower is throughout our lives to learn to decrease and to allow Jesus to increase in in our homes, in our hearts, in our family, in our churches, in our city. Let Let myself decrease and Jesus increase. Everybody say, Jesus increase. Let myself decrease. I liked how you guys were all about Jesus' increase and then not so about the decreasing on your own part. The human temptation of these followers who, at the time, maybe they didn't think they were being jealous or bitter. Maybe they just were concerned about, hey, like, John, you're pretty great. We want to make sure people are following you. Maybe they thought they had good intent at heart. And yet... John gives them that subtle rebuke. Hey, we receive nothing unless it comes from heaven. And ultimately, Jesus must increase. We must decrease. He teaches them this message. And, you know, it is still the human temptation, right? It's still the human temptation to want to make things about ourselves, make things all about what we want, what we need, put our name on it. But ultimately, we are there to make Jesus increase. He continues to teach his disciples. Verse 31 He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He is telling them that Jesus is from heaven, so he's above all. He's in control of all. He is the king, he is the ruler. What's interesting is we can't just settle for our earthly pastor and leaders when we can have relationship with the heavenly king. And, what's, and to, to, to apply this to maybe today's terms, like I think the temptation sometimes in the church is to listen to sermons online, read books that other people wrote, hope to grow spiritually that way. And I'm all about listening to sermons. I, I listen to many sermons. I read many Christian books. But those are from earthly men talking about heavenly things. I can open up God's Word, pray to God, and learn from the heaven linking. I think sometimes. There's a temptation to not teach this well for job security. (laughs) And I'm not paid by the church, so I don't have to worry about it. Listen, (laughs) listen. the goal of leadership in the church is not to get you to rely on us more, but to rely on us less. That's the goal of good, godly, biblical leadership. My goal is not to get you to need me more, but to need Jesus more, and rely on him more. And I'm here to help you do that. Our elders and leaders are here to help you do that. And I, and I think that there has been this human temptation at different points throughout history in the church where we train the people to need the leaders more. You can't confess your own sins. You have to do it through us. You can't uh, pray on your own. You need us to do it. You can't even read the Bible for yourself. You need us to interpret it for you. That is not the biblical example of leadership. The Bible always says that the apostles and the teachers and the prophets and the evangelists are there to equip the saints for ministry. We are there to get you closer to Jesus, to get you relying on Jesus, not on us. That is the biblical role of a leader. Now, no one ever graduates from good, godly leadership in their life. Even pastors, pastors need other pastors speaking into their life, holding them accountable. Nobody ever graduates from this. The Bible also always does talk about how we need to practice the love one another's, the exhort one another's, the encourage one another's, the rebuke one another's of scripture, right? There are all of these things. And so we need community. You never go, hey, I'm so close to Jesus now, I don't need the church. I'm so close to Jesus now, I don't need any authority in my life. That is never the case. So on one side, I'm saying that my role here and the role of our other leaders is to help you rely on us less and rely on Jesus more. But I would also say you never graduate from having good godly leaders and, and accountability in your life. Whether it's at this church or another or wherever it is, you need to have good godly community in your life. Jesus set this up, right? As, as the new church, they had the apostles, they had leaders, they had um, the church coming to the leaders, and, and they were following their example. Disciples make disciples who make disciples. This has always been the case, but you always see even these apostles being accountable to each other. Even that, there was a time where Peter was an heir, and Paul, the apostle Paul goes and calls him out. Peter was the head of the church, but even Peter was not above accountability. He was not above the need for other good, godly people speaking into his life. Amen? Let's read this. uh, John 34. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Jesus is uttering the very words of God, it says again, John, the Baptist is saying, hey, look, I'm just a man. There is God in the flesh uttering the words of God. And he has the Holy Spirit without measure. We have limit on the Holy Spirit's ability to use us because of sin. We make mistakes. We get in the way, right? Sometimes we get arrogant or prideful or other sins come up in our life and distract us, pull us away. And so we never have the Holy Spirit without measure because of our human inadequacies. But Jesus, while he was on earth, was uttering the very words of God and had the Holy Spirit without measure. So John the Baptist is like, follow him. He has the words of God and the Spirit of God without limit. And then more than that, the father loves the son who has given all things into his hand. Jesus is in control of all. He is, has all power, all authority. Follow Jesus, go to Jesus, John the Baptist is saying, verse 36, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Listen, because of your sin, the wrath of God was already on you. The wrath of God was already on all humanity for their sin. John the Baptist is saying he has the words of God. He has the spirit without measure. And more than that, he has the way to eternal life. He has life eternally, abundantly, perfectly. But to believe in him and obey him, it says. To believe is easy. To obey is a little more difficult, isn't it? Easy to say, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I will go to an Easter service. It's hard to say, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how that means I can be free from sin, the sins that I even like and want to keep going in. Right? To obey Jesus, he says. Okay, so John's message to us, let people go to Jesus. John's message to us, as the greatest man ever born of a woman, I must decrease and Jesus must increase the exaltation of Jesus Christ. There's a story, we're not going to read it, but... uh, there's a story where some of the disciples were seeking promotion in heaven and their mother comes in and says, Hey, can they sit on the right and left of you in heaven? And she's like, you don't even know what you're asking. And the other disciples hear what they asked for. And they, they, it starts kind of an argument between them as it would, right? Because these two disciples are like seeking self promotion. And then they make it worse by getting their mama to ask for them. (laughs) Right? Like these are grown men, right? And it's like, their mom is going to go fix something at school, right? Like I'm going to go like talk to the teacher, right? I'm going to go talk to the pastor. I'm going to go talk to God in the flesh and get you guys a promotion to get you guys what I think you deserve. That's what every mama would probably do, right? Fight for their children, seek the best for their children. But Jesus says to them, um, He said, but whoever would be great among you must be the servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Wow. He says, we need to humble ourselves. We want to be great like John the Baptist. We need to learn to become the least. We shouldn't seek self-promotion. We shouldn't try to get all the attention on ourselves. We we." often want the things easiest for ourselves what's more comfortable for ourselves what's more most pleasurable for ourselves because we are selfish John gives us the example and Jesus teaches us that the greatest are those who seek to be the least the most exalted are those who choose to serve We need to learn to be selfless and exalt Jesus, to be selfless and love others because that exalts Jesus, right? We should put others first in our life because that's the example that's given to us for Christ followers. Put others first. So for each of you today, I I would ask you during worship as we're about to, Pray and say, God, reveal to me the areas of pride that still exist. Reveal to me the areas that I'm not putting myself in the right place. Reveal to me the areas where I'm too selfish to exalt you and love others. Reveal to me. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes in and he convicts us of sin and empowers us in his grace to go forth and live better to go forth and, and love better, to speak better, to care for the poor better. But we can't just do that on our own. We need that Holy Spirit that Jesus had without measure. And yes, you maybe have some measure. Maybe there's some limits in your life because there's some unrepentant sin, because uh, there's some apathy and laziness. Maybe you don't feel empowered to do these things. Selfishness is your natural go-to. Today, you can allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the areas you need to repent of and ask him to empower you. exalt Jesus in all areas of your life and love others every way you God is faithful to give the Spirit to you if you request it. God is faithful to give the spirit if you're willing to repent of the things. That are... God will give you the spirit to do great and mighty things if you're willing to step out in faith. But oftentimes, God's not going to give you those spiritual gifts because you'll sit at home alone in a room with them. That's not what they're there for. They're there for you to go out and bless others. And if you're not willing to do that, why would he give them to you? But today, let's have willing hearts Let's ask for that spirit that Jesus had without measure and who wants to just pour upon him and see God do great and mighty things in Austin, Texas and the world. Let's pray.